excited. So I get to speak on a parable today on the talents and minas. And Aaron asked me ages ago if I wanted to speak in church, and I was like, I don't know if I should do that, thank you. Um, and then years later, he was like, you want to speak at church? I was like, I don't know if I should do that, thank you. And, um, and I've had so many cool stories to tell, and then this whole parable series came up, and I was like, whoa, this parable really lines up with some stories I want to share. And um, I was like, Aaron, I think I actually want to share at church. And he was like, cool, what parable? And I told him, and he was like, well, that's next week. And I was like, this was back in August, and I was like, oh, I'm not ready for that. And so, <laughs> so I looked at the list of parables, and, um, and the talents and minas made perfect sense. And so I was like, all right, can, can I speak on that one? And Aaron was like, yes, it's like in December. And I was like, all right. So I've had this parable on my heart since then and the stories that I want to share with you since then. And so I've been mulling it over for ages. So I'm so excited to finally share with you. Um, the main thing that you need to know today is that God loves you, and that's your identity. So if that's all you leave with today, you have a full identity. <laughs> You're God's kid. He loves you. The end. Um, so let's start with it. The parable is Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And as Jeremy says, go ahead and turn on your phones or open them if you're old school. Um, 25, 14 through 30. This NIV version I'll be reading calls it the parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on with his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once to put his money to work and gave five bags more. So also with one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold? See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering, where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not sat scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they will have, will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, that's intense. <laughs> the end is like, whoa, yikes. Um, some context for you. So, uh, in order to understand, so I, I teach high school literature. Um, I went to school to study English at Western State College. 
go WSCU. Um, I went there because I grew up in the mountains. <laughs> Unlike Laura, who grew up in Kansas, I grew up in the mountains. And, uh, and of course, I wanted to stay near the mountains, to stay near snowboarding. So I chose a college that was close to the ski resorts, to Crested Butte. Eh? Good place. And, um, and while I was there, I studied English. And I now teach um, at the Alternative High School over, it's called Jefferson High School. It's awesome. I love it. Um, and I teach English there. And so when you're teaching, when you're reading English literature in general, it helps to know the context, right? What era was it written? What was this author doing? What kind of style do they write with? So our guy Matthew here, starting in chapter 21, introduces how Jesus comes to Jerusalem. And so in chapter 21, which I love, um, Jesus enters the city on the donkey, everybody is worshiping him, everybody likes him, and then he walks into the temple. And I like to picture Jesus in context, because I think we like to have a very American, very Western view of Jesus, and, um, and we might be missing the point. So I imagine Jesus and his tunicky thing, and he walks into the temple, and you know, the psalmist says, you enter his gates with thanksgiving, you enter his courts with praise. So Jesus is entering that temple, and so you would imagine there'd be praise and thanksgiving, but what does he see? But a bunch of dudes making money on sacrifices. He walks in, and what should be happening is people repentantly bringing their sacrifices before God to be right, before God, before Passover, and instead what he sees is a bunch of people selling calves and doves and grain so that you can get holy too, and he is furious. So this is where our American Jesus doesn't work out so well. He starts kicking stuff over. Like he walks in, imagine, in the tunic. He's not like, mm, like rude. I like imagine him like ninja style, like kicking tables. He's like, stop it, you're messing up my dad's house. And all these people are like, who is this man? And you know what he does next? Stays there and just heals people. He like kicks over a bunch of tables and then it's like, okay, do you need healing? <laughs> all these blind people and crippled people are like, I do. And they come up to him and he's like, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. And meanwhile, some children are running around and they're singing like, yeah, King David's son. Yeah, Jesus is here. And so, of course, the scholars, the religious leaders are real upset about this because he just messed up all their stuff. Never mind that he's healing a bunch of people. But they messed up stuff and now their children singing that he might in fact be the Messiah. And they go up to him and they're like, hey, tell those kids to stop. And Jesus' mic drops on him and is like, what if they're right? So then he leaves, goes to Bethany, and there's chapter 22. Chapter 22, he, uh, he goes back to the temple. He, at that point, the religious leaders are real upset with Jesus, and so they start challenging him all the time. You know, because you're human, that there are different types of questions. There are information-seeking questions, and there are I'm-just-challenging-you questions. As a high school teacher, I'm supposed to notice the difference. So, when there is a challenging question, you don't need to give them the answer. They're not looking for it. You need to give them direction. And so Jesus is answering these challenging questions with direction, and whether or not they like it, the religious leaders are having to take it. And then, um, and then Jesus starts telling parables about how the Israelites are going to not be the only ones who have a relationship with God anymore, because they haven't treated the word of God as they should. Um, 
And then chapter 23 comes. Jesus is still at the temple, and he starts really clearly calling out the religious leaders, hypocrites. It's called the seven woes. He calls them lots of names, not limited to you snakes, you brood of vipers, prophet murderers, hypocrites, rotten graves, blind guides, etc. So Jesus is kind of a fiery dude right now. But just so you know, chapter 26 is when he gets turned over and given to the people who want to kill him. So he doesn't have much time, and he knows this. So back to chapter 23, that's when he has the seven woes. Then chapter 24, he starts talking about, he's so sad, he's bummed. He's like, look, Israelites, I wanted to have this relationship with you. I wanted to, and he says, gather you like chicks, and I'm the mama hen. Like, I just want to bring you to me, and I just want to cuddle and squeeze you. But you wouldn't have it. And so then he starts talking about the end of days, the apocalypse, as it were. And um, he doesn't really give clear description of what the apocalypse is going to look like. He just makes the point. And what I know about reading literature is whatever is the author puts in there, that's what's actually important. So Jesus didn't spend time clarifying what it's going to look like with the rapture. Will your clothes be on the floor? Will you not? Like, what will happen to your car if you disappear? That is not what he focused on. Jesus focused on, and I will come back, and will you be ready? And that's where our parable shows up, chapter 25. It's sandwiched between two other parables. You've got one on the fact that you should be ready, and then you have two on how to be ready. So ours is one of the how-to-be-ready parables. So that's your context. Back to the parable. So um, first of all, parables are about principles. You read them and you learn something that God is trying to communicate to us. Um, Jesus loved stories. I love stories. That's my favorite way to learn something. So I would rather read the series of the Chronicles of Narnia and learn seven things from seven different books because they're good stories than reading a whole lot of theology, because I read it and I'm like, wait, that was too much. I remember maybe one thing. So I like stories. Jesus likes stories, so he told parables. So in this parable, it is not about the character of God. It is about being faithful as a servant. So one thing I want to clarify is God is good all the time, and he loves us. Jesus is what God looks like. Jesus is God. So whatever you saw Jesus doing, we know that God does. So this parable is not necessarily about this angry master telling a servant what's up. This parable is actually about how do we respond when we are trusted with things. God is making an investment in each one of us, and what does his return look like? So another thing you should know is that a talent is worth 20 years' wages just about. So you have these gold coins. Um, I didn't know how many people would be here today, so I'm not prophesying anything over you with the one coin. I just had that many. I'm not as rich as God. So you should have something like one or two or five coins, because that's how this story goes. And um, in Greeley, the average salary is about $1,750. Um, so that's about 36000 a year. So one of these bag of goals for the Greeley equivalent here is about 728,000. So the guy that God knew couldn't handle too much, he still gave him 728,000, right? That's a load of money. Um, two coins would be about one and a half million, and three coins would be almost four million dollars. So it was a lot of money that this master was entrusting his servants with. So the master hands out millions of dollars expecting a return, and the guy um, who has the most 
is given the most gets to work. The Hebrew word for received, the way that Matthew uses this in the rest of this book, it means to get and do something. Every time Matthew uses this word for received, it means I will have it and do something with it. There was no part of this parable where, G- where the master was just giving stuff for you to keep, keep it. Which to me tells me God didn't give me my talents just to hang on to them. He gave them to me to receive and do something with them. And then we have um, the guy who just receives the one bag of gold. And it says in verse 15 that the master uses discernment and only gives what the servant is capable of. And he already expects less from this guy. But uh, it's not like the guy goes all prodigal son on it and wastes the money and squanders it everywhere he goes. He just is scared and he buries it in a hole. And as we know, the master is not okay with that. He's not okay with maintaining the status quo. And neither should we be, right? We're Christians. We're given things. We are given the Holy Spirit. We have God who's like hanging out with us and wants to be with us. Of course, why should we be like happy with the status quo? So our job is to take what we've been given and do something with it. So um, I went to school in Gunnison for two years, and then I decided I should probably do something more um, in pursuit of knowing God. And so I did YWAM. YWAM stands for Youth with a Mission, and it's all over the world. The way that um, they structure things is the first time you attend, you do a discipleship training school, a DTS. And the one that I went to, is in New Zealand, and it's called a Snowboarders DTS. So I went to New Zealand in our summer, their winter, because I was obsessed with snowboarding and snow and winter, and I missed an entire summer and snowboarded with a bunch of other people who love Jesus. And so you have three weeks, or sorry, three months of lecture phase where you learn stuff, and then two months of outreach where you go do something with that stuff that you learned. And so in my three months of lecture phase, We got to do a lot of snowboarding on the weekends. And then in the eighth week, we got to do a church serving week. So instead of sitting and receiving and learning, we got to go and do do mission-y things with our our group. And the team that I went with was the team that I later went on outreach with, and we went to China, and that was intense. But we were getting to know each other, and so we started serving in Christ Church at what's called the Skate House. And that was a ministry that they had that worked with... um, the, at the local skate park and did things like um, would have free hot dogs and would serve the kids there, would love on the kids there and, and meet them and know their stories and, and so was meeting that need. And so we went to help at the skate house and clean and that's when I found out you probably shouldn't use um, certain things on cabinets because I scrubbed all the gloss off of one cabinet and was like, I'm sorry, you guys asked for my help. But anyway, and while we were there, we heard that there was a snowboard rail jam, a competition happening at this one ski area none of us had ever been to on the weekend, and I really wanted to go. And so I prayed, and I said, God, if you want me to go, um, make it so that our team goes. Because I knew the whole DTS is like 38 kids. I knew all of them weren't going because they were at random churches, churches, <laughs> churches across the South Island in New Zealand. And so I was like, oh, God, you want me to compete in this, just let us go. 
<laughs> and I didn't tell any people about it, because right, if it's gonna be God, like I probably shouldn't push my own agenda, I guess. So that was what I thought. And so I would like, in my quiet time in the morning, I like remember even writing a poem about it, because I liked a poem, and I'm like, God, <laughs> let me go snowboarding. So then our leader comes one day and is like, guys, I got permission to go to Porter's this weekend to the rail gym. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm so excited. And so um, we get to go. And it's so funny. I don't know if you've been snowboarding or skiing in New Zealand, but it's like I'm used to chairlifts, and you get on the chairlift, and nobody in America puts the bar down. I don't know. We're rebels to the core, America. But um, in New Zealand, the place that we were snowboarding was such a small place, there weren't even chairlifts. There were these things called T-bars. And you take the T-bar, and if you're skiing, you do it like that, and then your friend is here, and you both are like, that's shushing. I'm shushing up the hill, right? <laughs> but in snowboarding, it's very confusing, and you like take it, and you like are like this, and you put your back foot down, and you do this. It goes up the middle of the run. In America, we'd be all liability, like don't let that happen. But New Zealand, like you could literally slalom the people as they're going up the hill. <laughs> you could be going down the hill. So totally different. But also, it's my, it's my thing, it's like my element. So I get there, we start snowboarding, I get in the rail jam, I'm the only one on my team who wants to do that, and I'm just being me. I'm just, I went by the nickname Bistro, and so I was just being Bistro. And um, I'm meeting some people as we compete, because I'm an awfully friendly snowboarder, and I see this guy has stickers on his board, it looks like Snowboarders for Christ, SFC, I am familiar with that ministry, we start chatting, we are buddies. We start hitting all the rails and boxes and features and naming the tricks for each other. We're like, do this one. And some are cool and serious, and some are ridiculous. Like there's one called the Michael Jackson, which makes no, like this doesn't make sense to do, but you like on your snowboard, get on your toes. That doesn't make sense, but we were doing it. We were just having so much fun. And then, um, and then I make it into finals. And I thought I was competing with guys. Girls don't usually win with guys. And I'm so excited I made the finals. So now I'm like, well, I should probably start trying hard tricks now. So me and Snowboarders for Christ guy, we start like calling out harder tricks and doing spins on and trying to do more complicated things. And, and I'm just having fun. I'm just having a blast. Like, I can't help it. And finally, finals are over. We go to the award ceremony and they're like, and for women. I'm like, what? There was a women's section I didn't even know. <laughs> and they're like, and for the women, third place, second place, and first place, I don't know if she's Canadian or American, but the chick with the white helmet? And I'm like, that's me! <laughs> and I run up, and I'm all excited. <laughs> and I get my stuff, and like, all I'm doing is glorifying God with my snowboarding and my joy and my sense of fun. I was, I was just enjoying it. So, um, Later, at the end of um, our lecture phase, there's this ministry that happens every Friday night, and it's in Methven. Methven is kind of like a really, really small version of Silverthorne or Frisco. Um, it's just like this little, tiny little shred town where there's a couple ski areas nearby. And I really wanted to go. And every Friday, I'd like check to see if my name was on the list. And it's never on the list. I'm like, come on, God, you know, like I would do it every Friday if they let me, but I'm not on the list. And finally, the Friday comes, I'm on the list, and there happens to be a rail jam in the street, Main Street. So, New Zealand, snow is up in the mountains, snow is not down at the bottom of the mountains. I don't know why, but that's how it is. So, they bring in some snow. And uh, 
scaffolding and this sheep thing for the sheep to get onto uh, platforms? I don't know, trucks? So there's the sheep walker upper and then there's a platform and then there's snow to a metal piece of railing, which is a rail, yes? And there's no snow under that. That's asphalt. And then after the rail, there is snow, and like kind of dispersed around it is hay bales. <laughs> so like if you fall, hopefully you hit the hay bale, not the asphalt, it'll be fine. And that sounds sketchy, but that is sometimes just how rail jams are. So I um, find out that I'm going this Friday. I get so excited. My other friend, Scott, he wants to do it too. We both try to sign up. I get accepted. He does not. I'm like, what? This is crazy. I'm like so excited because God has blessed me with this timing and blessed me with this place. And once I get there, he blesses me with favor because the judge starts talking about me. And if the judge is talking about you, people are paying attention. And if people are paying attention, the judges are paying attention. It's a huge blessing because as a girl, you could easily not be paid attention to and no one will care. So I'm excited, but he thinks I'm a guy. So my, my small group leader, she goes up and is like, hey, that, the person in the white helmet, that's a girl. And he's like, oh, snap. And she's like, damn, Bistro. And he's like, cool. And so now he's announcing like, and Bistro's dropping in. And if you know anything about rail jams, which you're about to, you have to, you have to be really clear about if you are dropping in normal or switch. Because switch is much harder, it's backwards. Skiing, you either are or you aren't, right? Like, they know. So I, like, have a bandana tied around my switch leg, and I, like, go up on, there's railing, I guess. I, like, lift up on the railing and, like, spin so he knows I'm dropping in switch. And then the judge is like, oh, bistro, dropping in switch. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm trying the hardest tricks I've ever tried, because why not? It's a competition. I'm either going to try them and fall or try them and land. And if I land, there's a good chance I'll win. So I'm so excited, and I make a friend. This is, um, there's another girl competing, and we started talking. And um, so we're trying tricks together, and she's encouraging me, I'm encouraging her, and we're having fun, and then I can't see her after a while, and I'm still dropping in, and there's like so much excitement and so much craziness going on that you're not paying attention to everything. And, um, and then at the end of the competition, I win, and it's very exciting. And I think I won Skull Candy headphones at that first one and Skull Candy headphones at this next one. So I had three pairs at the end of one season. I only have one broken pair now, so I don't know what happened to that. But um, I finish and I find out that she broke her wrist part of the way through. She like hit one of the rails and fell on the asphalt, and asphalt does what it did, stopped her. and. Um, and I ran up to her and I was like, dude, I'm so sorry about your wrist. And she's like, dude, I'm so encouraged that you won. That was awesome. So I'm just talking to her and I'm like, is it cool if I pray for you? And no one else at this rail jam was a Christian. No one else at the last rail jam except for my new friend was a Christian. And I just was like, yeah, is that cool? She's like, sure. And I'm at YWAM, so I'm familiar with all these crazy stories about healings going on and people being raised from the dead and amazing things that Jesus is doing across the world and even in America, and I'm like, shoot, why not a miracle here? So I pray, and I'm, I'm praying for her, and I'm like, okay, how's it feel? Because, right, if there's a healing, they're probably gonna be like, dude, it's awesome. <laughs> and she's like, that's definitely still broken. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna keep praying for you, but it was really cool meeting you. And she was like, thanks, thank you. I don't know the end of that story, but like, hopefully she went to the hospital and was like, dang, you could snowboard and love Jesus? Like, I didn't know that was a thing. 
So that night I go to the, the ministry and it's like pretty much like nachos and young people and foosball, like many ministries in the world. And so we're eating our nachos, I'm playing foosball with kids and, and um, we're only I think a week away from going to China. And um, this kid comes up to me and he's like, hey, here, and hands me a wad of New Zealand cash. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and he's like, so I, I've been saving up my tithes for the last months because I don't really, because um, of my work, I don't really go to a church, and I wasn't sure what to do with it. But I, I know you guys are about to go on outreach, and I just wanted to see if there's someone on your team who maybe needed money. My friend Bitsy from Southside Chicago, she barely made it through lecture, lecture phase because her family of nine didn't have the money to send her, and she'd been raising funds. She didn't have the money to go to China with us, but now she does. And I was like, yes, Bitsy can use this cash. And the kid was like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad God put that on my heart. And I'm so encouraged and so excited. And just like the overflow of everything, I'm like, you know what? I feel like God has a word for you. And I feel like God is telling me to make sure you know that you are going to encounter God in a way that you didn't expect. And he is going to blow you away with his goodness and his love. And you are never going to be the same. And it was like this really cool moment where it wasn't just like me having some cool advice as Bistro. It was like God just wanted Bistro to say something for him. That one, I do know the end of that story, because the next year, um, the woman from Skate Church, MySpace is me. Do you guys remember MySpace? <laughs> she MySpace is me and was like, Bistro, crazy story. So this guy who met you in meth then, he gave you some cash. He came to DTS because of you. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. So he remembers that you gave him this word that he was about to encounter God like he never had before. Months later, he has this crazy vision with angels and God giving him a clarifying like direction for his life and he knew he needed to pursue God more and he knew he needed to know God better so he came to DTS because of something that you said to him. I, what? I was just living. I was just being a snowboarder bistro who just had something to say because she loves Jesus. That's all. And then I get to be part of this big story where this kid is pursuing God because it's something that he knew. And so my encouragement to y'all is that in the talents, God gave you, you. He gave you the skills you have. He gave you the strengths you have. You know your weaknesses. He knows your weaknesses. But he gave you you and everything that you have so that you could glorify him. That's what we do. And it's fun. Because I don't know if you know about science, but it turns out in science, form follows function. Like, God didn't make our hands out of stomach tissue, right? Because stomach is supposed to produce this acid and, like, deteriorate some stuff so it can go on to the next step. But our hands are made of tough stuff because hands are supposed to be able to touch and do and create and build, right? So, with, so it's the same with you. He gave me these snowboarding skills and growing up in the mountains so that I could glorify him that way. And he pulled me out of the mountains and brought me here so that I could teach and glorify him that way. I remember a day on a chairlift where I'd subbed the day before in Gunnison, and I was on the chairlift, and I was like, I think my joy quotient is the same today. I had just as much fun loving students as a substitute teacher as I am right now on the chairlift after landing some cool tricks. Like, God made me to be me to glorify him, and God made you to be you to glorify him. And so the message in our story today is that God gave you so much. 
And he wants to be part of using that for him. He didn't just say, here's some firewood, go build a fire, be by yourself. He said, here's some giftings. Now hang out with me, and I will multiply them with you. And he goes on, if you want more clarification, feel free to read the parable that comes after this. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Because he says in Matthew 25, 31, to the end, and clarifies that, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So how do we use what God gave him? By being us, by paying attention, by loving those around us. That's all. That's all it takes. So I hope that you're super encouraged today. I hope that you can take your gold coins and multiply them by taking your talents and co-laboring, co-creating with God to be the you he created you to be, to bring him glory. So if you would pray with me. God, thank you so much for being you and for creating us to be us. You're so fun, God. Your creativity is amazing, and you love us so much. Lord, I just pray that your word would land on everyone's hearts today, God, that your truth would resound. And God, that the results of today would be that we would just take our desire to be with you and pursue you into each day this week. God, that we would come out closer and more in love and more aware of how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.